Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining Arun and myself today is Adi Banrari, founder and CEO at Applied Blockchain. And welcome to the show, Adi. Thank you. So um, before we start, can you share with our audience a little bit about your career journey? Um, you have an interesting start of your career. And I think before the show, you mentioned that, you know, you had gained quite a bit of, um, shall we say, background uh, in, in a company that we both shared. So curious to hear how you jumped from there to what you're doing right now on Web3 and also your zero founder. Um, so let's talk to us a little bit about that as well. And how do you end up starting Apply Blockchain? Yeah, okay. So uh, my background is computer science. Uh, and I started my career working for consultancies. I worked for a company called Logica. And then uh, a couple of years later, I moved to Amdocs, which is a company that we both uh, worked at. Uh, Amdocs is based, it was based in Israel uh, and services the telco industry. So it's customer care and billing systems for, uh, for many of the large telcos. Uh, and I, I kind of think of myself as growing up there in terms of, uh, of, of my career and, and just learning how yeah, how to lead teams, how to work in a structured way, software engineering, uh, work with some great people there. Um, and uh, after that, I spent another, probably another 10 years in the telecoms industry, uh, working for, the, for some of the telecoms companies directly, um, mainly as an architect, as a solution architect. Uh, and then I spent five years in finance with Lloyd's Insurance Market and Lloyd's Banking Group. Uh, and it was while, while I was at Lloyd's Banking Group that I came across Ethereum, this is back in 2014, 2015, uh, prior to the launch. Uh, and I, was, uh, I basically started experimenting with the code and, and just understanding how smart contracts work. And it blew my mind. Uh, I just thought it was mind-boggling technology. Uh, I loved it. Um, what, what I was really doing in those enterprises was integration uh, of different systems and, and with each other. And I saw blockchain as a new technology layer, a new way for companies and, and, uh, and also individuals to transact, to interact with each other. Uh, so that's, that's what drew me in. Uh, I, I did a few things at the bank uh, on various blockchain forums uh, and also tried to show uh, how smart contracts work and look, look at it for different processes. But eventually I, uh, I, I left the bank and I started Apply Blockchain. Uh, really to work full-time on the technology and uh, build the development team, build solutions for clients using the, the blockchain tech. That's great. And uh, Adi, again, from my end, I, I feel quite privileged to be talking to you because I've admired you from a distance for, for years now. Uh, so really, really glad that you're part of, uh, you, 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 you're now our guest here. Um, so just uh, before we jump into your applied blockchain journey, I just want to ask a more broader question on the around the Web3 digital assets ecosystem. Um, rewind a year ago, I think Bitcoin was at $60,000 or something like that. And today we are where we are. Uh, it's the price is less of an issue, but uh, the, the, the way we've got there is hurting. And as someone who's been part of this, I'm sure you're probably feeling that as well. And, and I see that kind of a sentiment uh, across the ecosystem. Um, but the number of Web3 developers today is at an all-time high. Uh, we've never had so many Web3 developers before. So 
what are your thoughts what makes you really happy about this space where we are today and what what are the things that you think we 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 should be doing better we could have done better any thoughts on the broader ecosystem yeah i first of all i think you should only talk about what you really know about right and i know about tech right what i don't know about is prices okay so i never understood really why bitcoin is worth two dollars instead of one dollar uh, and i still don't and, and, and that applies to all of this uh, and that doesn't mean it isn't it shouldn't be it's just i don't understand it um and uh so i look at things from a tech perspective right and from a tech perspective uh, i think you get it's a, it's a different lens right there's a lot of projects that have a lot of hype and maybe have uh, market caps in the hundreds of billions and you know we look at the tech and we think why right and there are other projects which uh, which have amazing tech uh, and some of them may also be up there and some of them may not but we're i like to think that we're you know we're, we're kind of technical uh, purists looking at things from a technical perspective there's some things that work there's some things that adhere to the basic principles of blockchains but there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of nonsense and there's a lot of stuff that gets tremendous financial traction that doesn't make any sense <laughs> so so you know we're on this roller coaster and it's been crazy ups and downs and of course the ups uh, help all help all of us and the downs hurt all of us as well uh, but uh you know even if you look at like the enterprise world and companies like gartner they give you this nice curve uh, so you know you go through hype cycles and i think uh, you know there's this thing with technology now where everything is just accelerated and our hype cycles are getting more and more accelerated and with blockchain you've got an interesting mix because you've got technology and money mixed together so that just makes everything even crazier uh, and and so yeah so i think we've got these extremes uh, and in a way it's a good thing that some of the stuff gets cleaned out that should never have been there in the first place uh, of course you know it's not good when people get hurt and it's not good when when companies have to shut or when people get laid off and so on or when people lose their money uh, but I think, uh, you know, where, where the, the really good work is being done, where there's really uh, meaningful innovation, where there's meaningful value, that's what should really come through. And, and you know, hopefully that's, that's really the case. Great. So thanks for that. Um, I just have another question in terms of more into the technology aspects of, uh, of, of uh, the broader ecosystem. Um, I know you work with um, oracles and, and uh, particularly around uh, the uh, Algorand project that you've uh, done. Um, and every time people uh, talk about oracles and, uh, and, and cross-chain bridge, uh, cross bridges and stuff like that, I am often um, reminded of the number of times hackers have um, Taken advantage of those uh, uh, those aspects or or, or those um, elements of, of the blockchain ecosystem. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, how do we make this this thing better? Because I think I mean from, from just based right. on the numbers, I think there were about two point one billion dollars worth of um, uh, capital lost in the last uh, uh, last twelve months or so, some really crazy numbers. And how yeah. do we how do we yeah. go about addressing this? Um, so I think, I think, first of all, just, uh, you know, relating to the previous question as well, um, we, you know, w when we look at blockchain, we, we look at the fundamentals, 
right? The fundamentals for us is, is it's basically a technology for group security. So the principle is that you think that a group is going to be more secure looking after your assets than securing those transactions than a single entity, right? Uh, and that, that kind of underpins everything else. So when we look at a blockchain and we think of how secure that is, that, that's, that's assuming the tech itself works, the next thing after that is it needs to be meaningfully decentralized. So that means that there's a group that's making it more secure in a way that they're unlikely to collude. Because if they collude, they become like one entity. So, so that's, that, that's kind of very, very important. And that's not true in all the blockchains that are out there, right? Even not the, all the ones that are widely used. So that's one of the things that we look at. We look at who controls smart contracts because there are smart contracts where there's a, there's a key that somebody has to upgrade the contract. And if you hold a key like that, you cannot change the contract to take people's assets as well. So, you know, we look at some of the blockchains and they've got some of these things fundamentally, uh, you know, exposed, right? And, and these things aren't called out often enough. Uh, so that's, that's on the blockchains themselves. Some of the hacks on the, on, around the blockchains have, have been because of that, right? So, so, so I think the Ronin Bridge was attacked because the blockchain, the Ronin blockchain itself was very small and, you, and, and the attacker just did a social attack on three, I think, out of five or whatever the number was of the, of the people that were managing the nodes, right? So, so it, you, have to, you have to come back to the fundamentals. Uh, then in terms of bri the bridges, people got, you know, when, when, when this kind of boom started uh, two, two and a half years ago, uh, people wanted to move a lot of tokens around between these different blockchains because Ethereum started getting very expensive. And bridges became available, but people didn't do the same, apply the same diligence to the security and structure of the bridges as they did to the blockchains themselves. So whereas the blockchain is secure because it's decentralized and, and you've got this group, uh, the bridges will basically, it's a bit like having someone standing there collecting tokens on the one hand, holding them, deciding what to do with them and say, okay, it's a good day, I'm going to put them on this side now. Uh, or, or I'll keep them to myself. That's, in technical terms, that's how these bridges were actually structured. Right? In some cases, they, they had more than one person, making them a little bit more secure, uh, but not much. So, so the blockchains were kind of like Web2 technology, sitting between two Web3 platforms. And so they had all the vulnerabilities of, a, of, of the Web2 platforms except they were now processing all these, all these valuable tokens. Uh, so that's, that's a problem that we've seen there. Uh, and oracles have a, have a similar uh, potential problem because they're connecting data outside the blockchain and bringing it in. And again, if somebody's just, if you just got a regular server that's collecting some data and sending it to the blockchain, the blockchain has no way to know whether that's been tampered with, whether it's real, whether it's even come from somewhere, right? Uh, you kind of have to trust these oracles. Uh, so again, the, the, the default behavior is to say, right, let's have lots of them and then you don't just have to trust one, but they could still collude to who's really overseeing that and so on. So there's still some risk there. Uh, so what we're seeing on both of these types of technologies or, or platforms and what, what we've brought as an approach is what what's commonly known as a trustless approach, where the technology itself, the cryptography, is used to provide guarantees end to end. And so that's what we're doing on the bridge. We have a, a, a verification on the, on the second blockchain, on the target blockchain, which is through cryptography verifying 
that everything has been received and proven from the first chain where things were sent from. And the same thing, so that's the bridge that we're building called London Bridge. And then we're doing the same thing with the Oracle where we're tying to the Web2 API directly to the HTTPS server and the certificate of getting too technical and proving that the data has come from there and we process it in a privacy-preserving environment so we or any operator can't see the data. And then we provide cryptographic proof that can be verified in the Web3 application on-chain. So it's, it's maturing of the space and it's bringing more, more secure uh, technologies in to, to fill these gaps. I, I just have a follow-up question on this, uh, I think yeah. that's okay. Yeah. So um, this is based on my understanding of how the uh, bridges work, which is when you hypothetically, mm -hmm. when you're moving say um, $10,000 worth of Ethereum from uh, Ethereum blockchain onto Solana through let's say Wormhole, um, I am, I have understood that wormhole is basically a pool of cash. Uh, it, it doesn't do a kind of a one-to-one -one mapping in terms of what tokens were kind of moved into the other. So this could potentially lead to anti-money laundering, sorry, money laundering problems uh, for the future. Um, and, and particularly if there were institutional capital that's been, that's going into the space and at scale at some point in future, we'll need to have those into, uh, in place. So how do we deal with these pools of capital um, that are actually kind of used as a way to move money between chains and, 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 and have some anti-money laundering controls in place? So um, the, the way Wormhole uh, and, and many other bridges work, uh, I mean, there's different parts to the bridge, but normally uh, a Wormhole is, is uh, um, what we call a lock and mint bridge. So when you're sending uh, tokens from Ethereum, you send them into a wormhole contract. They get locked up in that wormhole contract. There's a, there's a bridge application outside the blockchain, which is, which is listening and sees that happen. And then it goes and mints what we call wrapped tokens on Solana. Right? Uh, now that bridge application in the middle, that's, that's what I was referring to before. Right? Uh, the fact that the tokens are getting locked up in a, in a pool, that's, that's one way of handling this. And, and the idea is they get unlocked when, to, when, when transfers are made the other way. Uh, that's to, to, to basically enable the original tokens to be released on return. Right? Uh, but those pools can get very big and, and they can be hacked as well. Uh, so that's obviously that, that, that's one risk. But a big part of that is just how you structure the whole thing. And these trustless bridges... By, by having all the checks in the contracts themselves, they take out a lot of the risk. Uh, if I remember correctly, the wormhole hack was based on the fact that the bridge itself didn't validate the signatures correctly, and, and then the, the attacker was able to, to post transactions which weren't what they were supposed to be, or didn't emanate from where they were supposed to emanate from. Uh, so that's the risk there. The, the, the money laundering risk is, uh, I think, related to the fact that the, 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 money can be, the, the tokens can be pooled and then extracted from a pool. Uh, but again, if the bridge, if you have a trustless bridge which is going kind of end-to-end, -end, then there are ways of tracing the transactions to the original transactions and then to the addresses that they came from. Uh, so again, it depends how the bridge is structured. Right? Uh, I think this end-to-end -end cryptography, this trustless model, gives more of that transparency and makes that harder. All right, so let's bring the conversation back a little bit. Um, 
back to financial services, because previously you had mentioned um, you had done some work in a lot of work in telco, you've done some work in banking with Lloyd's, and that was when you first came upon the technology and got you really intrigued. There are a lot of financial institutions, big financial institutions, tier one banks, who yeah. are very, very interested in exploring this future state um, of yes. technology. Yeah. Where do you think what roles do you think they play and what are some of the areas mm -hmm. that they would most benefit from? I know for sure that, you know, creating like a digital lounge with, with someone's portrait in there is not the end state. Um, what can they do? <laughs> um, yeah, just like I can't comment about prices, I can't comment about these NFTs. I've no idea, right? Um, but when it comes to, uh, to, to, to the banks, it's an interesting one, right? I, I think... Uh, you know, when I look again at why I got into this, it was the technology, but it wasn't technology for technology's sake. It was because I thought it was very secure and efficient, right? And it's that efficiency that I think is the interesting part here, right? And an example of that efficiency is if I, if I want to buy something from you, right? So, and, and let's say we're both businesses, right? So I have to, uh, you have to send me an invoice, I have to send money to your bank account, then you have to deliver some good or service to me, and, and, and so on, right? Not necessarily in that order, but that's essentially what has to happen. And so the delivery of the, 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 the asset or the service or whatever it is, is separate from the payment, right? Uh, and that means that there's reconciliation, there's third parties, there's all the rest of it. What we can do with blockchain, if, we, if we're able to represent the, the, the asset or the thing that's being purchased in digital form, uh, then we can tie that to the payment and we can basically pay for the asset and, trans and transfer the asset ownership in one, in one go, right, through one platform. And, that's what, and, and that means that a you know, buyer and seller can do that directly with each other. Right? That's what enables this very efficient uh, trading and obviously NFTs that were being bought and sold, that's exactly how that works. Of course, that whole market went crazy, but one of the reasons it could go crazy was because the technology was so efficient in actually trading, right? Uh, and so people globally could just do that in an, in an instant. Uh, and they didn't have to worry about third parties and things going wrong in the middle because it was all just instant uh, delivery versus payment in one, in one transaction. Um, so that's, that, for me, that, that on its own is, is, is groundbreaking efficiency compared to the, the financial system that we have in place today, right? which doesn't integrate with assets. Uh, then if you put on top of that uh, what we've been seeing with DeFi, right, decentralized finance, which is smart contracts, which are bits of code, that instead of just swapping an asset for, uh, for uh, you know, one asset for another that's been delivered, they, they can manage these liquidity pools of pairs of assets, and then you come along with, one, with, with asset, some of asset A and you collect some of asset B, and this smart contract does it on its own and it manages the price and it manages all of that. It's just a bit of code, right? So that's, that's an exchange. And then, uh, and then you look at lending pools, which are, which are a very similar thing, where investors put their money in and instead of somebody just uh, taking the, the coins out, the borrowers will put another asset in as collateral and take out the asset that they want to borrow, pay it back with interest, and then investors collect their, their funds with their interest. That's a mini bank, 
right? You've got people with their savings account and you've got borrowers, right? Okay, it's all collateralized, fully collateralized or over collateralized, but it's like these mini, these Lego bricks of a bank, right? Except there's nobody there, right? It's just a bit of code that people can use and, and trust because it can't do anything except whatever its instruction set says it can do, and that's it. And you can see that and you can look at it. Uh, so, so that's just super efficient. Right? And I think that turns the financial world on its head. Uh, of course, there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for that to be uh, practical and uh, integrated in a way that people can use it, you know, that your average person can use it in their day-to-day -day life or your average business can use it in their day-to-day -day life. But every day we're seeing maturing, right? We're seeing steps uh, of, uh, towards that. Um, I still think it's very early, right? And there's also a lot of nonsense, as I said at the beginning, there's a lot of mis-selling, there's a lot of like investors putting money in without due diligence, both on the technical side and as we've seen on the business and financial and governance side. Uh, so we can't do anything about that, right? If people are putting money in without uh, really uh, doing diligence, that, that hurts everybody. Um, but, but it doesn't stop the, this uh, development and evolution of the technology to enable more financial, more, more efficient uh, transacting and trading. That's, uh, that's brilliant. Um, and, uh, and on that note, I just wanted to kind of uh, move towards the next topic of conversation. You just touched upon the governance elements of it. And we've seen uh, centralized exchanges cause quite a lot of trouble in, in, in the recent past within the crypto space. Yep. Um, more recently, FTX, and we don't know who else is out there who's, uh, who's, who's <laughs> coming down, badly coming down. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> you didn't say that. <laughs> uh, but um, anyways, so what um, what I wanted to understand is I know you've worked, done some work with Ledger um, and and uh, I, I'm really keen on understanding what your thoughts are within the wallet ecosystem in, as, as in, a, in a more broader sense, because we see MPC wallets because I'm, 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 I'm kind of in touch with the, the Zengo CEO, for instance, they use MPC and I've just kind of been trying their wallets out and the, the user experience with MPC wallets seem to be uh, much better than multisigs, the normal MetaMasks, and 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 the other wallets that we have, and of course even Ledger. I mean, Ledger is meant to be um, uh, with lots of friction, so meant meant to slow us down. Uh, but the other wallets as well. So, what are your thoughts on what needs to happen in this space from a self custody perspective? Is that even a realistic future? And what kind of technical technological advancements need to happen there? Yeah, it's. I think it's a really hard one. Can I just go back to the banking question? Though? I just realized oh, yeah, I sure. didn't answer all of it. So, sure. so I guess there is a, there is a role for, for like what's going to happen to the banks, right? They're obviously not going to disappear. Um, but I, but I, think they're, they're, I think the roles will change because I think if some of the activity that they do today, such as uh, savings, lending, borrowing, uh, can be done more efficiently uh, and potentially in a safe way uh, elsewhere, then, then what, what, what is their role? Um, and I think uh, the, the things that I see are uh, on-off ramps, uh, issuance of stable coin, and custody, right? And this touches on your, on, on, on your last question as well. Um, 
those, those are kind of obvious things that aren't taken care of inside the blockchain. Uh, and th th there's definitely a role for, for players outside, right? And Circle has taken, you know, huge steps in, uh, in, in forward in the, with USDC and the Eurocoin now in issuing stable coins. But that's something that existing financial institutions could do as well. And similarly, custody is something that uh, quite a few banks are already starting to offer. So those are things that make sense for a bank to, to, to offer in any case. Uh, that, that, that's, that, that's what I would say. It, I, I do, you know, the cliche in the tech world is kind of Netflix, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix. And so there is an element of like, you know, the banks are like, you know, you've got your video stores, what do you do with them, right? And, but, but it is that kind of change, I think. It's the role changes, right? And, and it's because of efficiencies. Uh, so, so I think uh, it's you know it's very difficult to change an institution like a bank, but they they, they definitely need to, uh, to to monitor what's going on and, and be be ready for it because I think technological efficiency is very hard to to, to fight. Uh, so I think you need to be in it. Um, yeah, going back to your question, then uh, I guess about the the non-custodial versus custodial exchanges and user experience and so on. So, I mean, we we get this with all of our customers, right? So let's say somebody wants to start an NFT marketplace or they want to start a, 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 a financing protocol. Um, they'll usually say, "Well, we love the blockchain. Eventually, we want everything to be non-custodial, but now we just want to be able to target regular people who are not." Uh, crypto native, and they're not going to be able to install MetaMask and work that work out how to use it, and and so we want to provide them initially with a custodial solution where they just sign up the way they used to, with their email and so on. Right? This is very very common, uh, and I guess the the custodial exchanges like FTX, Coinbase, Binance, and so on, that that's really what they're providing. Right? They're providing an interface for people to deal with. Uh, crypto and the blockchain world, uh, but through a, a way that they're uh, used to working, used to used to uh, dealing with, with with things. The problem is that it's not blockchain, right? And so it doesn't provide any of the security or efficiencies or guarantees that the blockchain itself does, right? And it has all of the flaws and all of the vulnerabilities of solutions that are not on the blockchain. Uh, and if, if if those institutions are also not regulated, then you don't even have that kind of safety net uh, either. Uh, and that's obviously what we saw with FTX, right? Um, so, so I think that's the. I don't think centralized exchanges are going to go away uh, because I think there is a need for people to be able to uh, use things in a in a way that's easy for them, and they may not be willing to. to you know, they may, that, that may be more important to them than potentially the risk around the assets themselves. Obviously, from a technical perspective, self-custody is the, is, is the ideal solution. The, the ledger hardware wallet and other hardware wallets are, you know, the, the, again, the technically safer way of doing this. The MPC, which is it's, it's technically it's multi-party computation, it's, it's a technique for... Um, basically generating multiple keys and then bringing them together in a way that they sign as one. Uh, and so it's a, it, you can present, you can sign something on the blockchain by actually having several people with several keys sign in the background. Uh, 
Uh, that's a nice technology. It's been around for quite a long time now. There's quite a few companies that have, uh, have sort of brought that forward. Um, there's, there's different techniques for achieving the same thing. I mean, multi-sig for me is that's essentially different people signing and then the transactions being brought together in a contract before anything happens. I mean, t technically from that perspective, it's, it's a very, in terms of what security it provides, it's very similar. Uh, people dealing with keys is, is, a, is, is a tough problem to solve. Walking around with a ledger, uh, that's, you know, that's not necessarily great either. You know, somebody could steal it, although they'd still need a code to break it. But then you need to somehow recover it, and then you're back to, well, where did I write down that key? Uh, so it's not an easy problem to solve. And as people, and especially institutions, need to secure more and more uh, value uh, in these accounts, then what they're, what they're tending to do is ask someone else to look after that for them, and that's a custodian. So, and, that, and in many cases, that's banks. So we end up coming full circle a little bit. Uh, but um, that's what we're seeing. Uh, MPC and uh, multi-sig also allow us to, to mix that up a little bit. So it could be that I have a key with me and also the institution. The custodian has a key and the two have to be brought together. And so there's different ways of cutting and slicing it. Uh, but it's still not an easy problem to solve. And yeah, the user experience is still a long way to go. Uh, it could be what we saw in the last two years, that's over NFTs, uh, is just a lot of people, especially young people, just going straight into the, the technology. Right? Uh, the internet was hard for people when it first started. People didn't understand browsers and typing in addresses and you know, URLs or whatever. But eventually they did because there was so much to be gained by, by doing it. Right? And you know, who knew what a hashtag was? That's a very technical thing. Right? But it just, you know, as, as it gained momentum, people just, it just became mainstream, right? People uh, take on the technology sometimes. So that might be what happens here to some extent as well. That's kind of what happened with the NFTs. We'll need to have super memory to remember all of those though. Um <laughs> long compared to remembering a url um before we wrap i wanted to we wanted to ask you um what are you most excited about with this new year um what's in store that that makes you like wow you know this is this is good i i'm in it um i want to spend more time on it or what yeah. gives you hope yeah I, I guess what's interesting is you see the price uh the prices in the market you know, go through these crazy cycles. Uh, on the ground, like in terms of the tech, doesn't really, that doesn't really do much, right? So there's just, you know, steps going forward and people building stuff and problems being solved. And, and, and you know, it's a very collaborative space uh, by nature. And so all of that is just progressing and going on. Uh, of course, the, the prices in the market kind of influences funding as well in the space. Uh, but in some ways, the fact that the things have quietened down now gives people that space to develop as well, right? Because it's not all the crazy pressure that it was before. Uh, so the fact that all of this is continuing to move forward, I think is super exciting. Uh, and we're certainly not seeing any, uh, you know, we're, we're we're, we're, people are, are coming to us more and more and asking for more of this and getting excited about it as we are. 
uh, and we just see it m moving forward uh, more and more. So that's really exciting from our perspective. And again, looking at sort of the, the genuine tech efficiencies and solutions, uh, you know, I, I think we're in a, 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 as good a place as we've ever been. And this space does move forward incredibly quickly. Uh, and there is so much work. You know, you talked about how many Web3 developers there are. Uh, there's, you know, I, I don't know another technology where so much innovation has happened in such a short time. Uh, and I'm talking about meaningful computer science problems being solved, not just people spinning up tokens or something, but actually meaningful innovation. Uh, so I think that's, that, that, that's tremendous. I like that. I love ending um, a conversation with a positive note. So that certainly gives us something to look forward to. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Adi. Can, yes. Can, can, I just add, can I just add to that? I would say yeah. the, the other exciting thing about this is it, it feels like it, it hasn't even got going yet. Right? So the space is about, is about, I don't know, 10 years old, let's say, since Bitcoin, maybe a bit more. Um, but in terms of what, where it can go and what's been done so far, it's, we haven't scratched the surface, right? There isn't main, mainstream adoption yet. These, what we've seen so far are really experiments that you know, some have risen, some have cr come crashing down, but it's all learning. Uh, and there's still a very long way to go, uh, I think, in terms of seeing out this technology until it really becomes mainstream. So that's the other thing that's really exciting is I think it's still very much early days. That was it. Well, early days is where we want to be, though, right? Because then you have a voice and the ability to shape the future that you want it to be and how it wants to be and play a role in our lives. So it is wonderful. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Adi. And uh, for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>